Hi, and welcome. This is Lee Siegfried, host of A Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we keep it real. We talk about dogs, living with dogs, life with dogs, dog training, and the full spectrum of the journey from puppyhood and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Hey, hey, this is Lee with A Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. Thanks for joining us. So today I just wanted to spend some time talking about grooming and how to prepare a dog or how to navigate or negotiate through moments where you're grooming, bathing, asking your dog to hang out in a way that may be a little more restrictive than they're used to due to circumstantial things like trying to wipe you down, you're wet, let me hold your paw, can I potentially clip your nails, could I actually, could I clean your teeth, (laughs) could I take that tick off of you, could I simply just ask you to stop moving right now and hold on to your collar, And can I brush you? Can I maybe clip this mat off of you from behind your ear? So that sounds like a mouthful of a bunch of rando things to be doing with your dog. But I want to just paint the picture for how you can begin to, in a cohesive way, actually have, I don't want to say like a conversation with your dog or a way to prepare them that will impact all areas there. And some of you look, some of you may have a short-haired dog. I had two short-haired dogs for years, and I would occasionally bathe them. I would occasionally brush them them out, heavy air quotes there, because it was so, like, barely a thing. Now, with a long-coated dog, (laughs) it's a whole different game. But, all right, so I wanted to just talk to you about some of the things that I do that I have found effective over the years to get it rolling and keep it in a good place. The big concept, the big concept is teaching your dog to be neutral and to release them from doing the weird thing when they're neutral. That's it. Boom. Mic drop. I'm out of here. So I'm going to just break, break that one down because I think that it's probably nebulous and, I, and you need a construct to really get what I'm – to pick up what I'm putting down. All right. So here's what I'm saying. Teaching your dog restraint tolerance, helping build a recovery from stress – Helping increase frustration tolerance can look like a dog that may be mentally uncomfortable and is much more able to deal than flail and get immediately defensive. I realize that's such heavy dog nerd talk. So let me try to like, let me try to tone that down. Here's how you can start to think about it. All right. Let's say I'm a dog. Here's my collar. Okay. I'm a dog. I'm wearing, I'm wearing my, my basic ID tag collar. Can I just loop a couple fingers under that collar and hold? And just, and if the dog goes, can I move away from you? And I'm like, holding on to you with my arm. There's really nowhere for you to go. I want to know what the dog does. And here's what I'm looking for. If they push forward and are like, that was nice, but I'd like to get away now. Or, Or if they try to drop their shoulder and like roll into the ground. And if they try to lay down, I don't care. As long as they're not army crawling away from me to be like, How about I lay down? Maybe now I can like wiggle out of this. What I'm looking for most of the time is when the dog is standing, if I'm restraining them, if I'm holding onto a collar and they're like, whoa, trying to pull away or like, whoa, trying to push forward, I'm looking for their legs to go neutral and then I'll go, good, I'll let go and I'll feed them. Now, it's not always that I'm starting with my hand on a collar. With a puppy, yeah. With a dog that already has maybe some defensive known history, you go to restrain them and they're like trying to bite you away. I'm not going to start there. (laughs) 
I'm not going to start there, but I'm going to do things that are going to create the sensation of being touched by a collar. Things that feel like the dog's being touched by their collar may be that I get a dog leash. Okay. This is my fake dog leash. And I bring it around the front of the dog and push up and then let go. Maybe I go to the right and let go. Or I go to the left and let go. Or I go, or, or I go from behind and pull the dog towards me and I let go. So what I'm essentially doing is this, my leash, is acting like my arm to restrict or guide, right? And as long as the dog's like either moving with that or at least just like neutral to it, which means their feet are either balanced and resting and they're all on, on all four feet and they look quite like, yeah, I can go that way. Yeah, I can go that way. I'm not resisting. I'm not swinging my head back to bite the leash. I'm My head is mostly forward. So that's another big thing in reading neutrality in a dog. Neutrality is just, we're okay with what's so. It might be slightly like fig- trying to figure it out, but we're okay with what's so, right? One big thing with neutrality is head position. So it is like noticing what the dog is doing with their feet. It's also like, is the dog's head just pointing forward? When a dog's not very neutral, and I don't know if you've noticed this, <laughs> hot tip, hot tip, get your notebooks out. Their head will not be facing forward. I mean, it will, but their chin might start to to like tip up if you're behind them or their chin may like they start may start to drop their chin to look behind them to be like what are you doing back there are you touching my hand down right they're allowed to do that by the way it can be ooh, yellow flags it can be a warning system that something's about to go down like a good rule of thumb is if they're looking at it they're thinking about it whether that's your dog reactive dog whether that's your dog like going this is my dog I saw a squirrel, like what, like, uh, there's a squirrel there. Can I chase it? Can I push it? Right. Or bunny backyard, (laughs) whole other thing. This is all normal stuff and it can help give you an indication of how big of a deal it really is to the dog. Right. So if I'm petting the dog back here and they're like, I'm frozen, I'm very stiff and my eyeballs are like staring at you my mouth is shut. I'm like, you're tense. But if they're like, what are you doing back there? And then their head goes back to neutral. I'm like, oh, you're actually not so bothered by that, right? So just getting your dog from very beginning stages, like used to some version of a strain. And this can be super simple. This can be, I'm just holding you here, putting a couple of fingers under the old collar. There's nowhere for you to go. How do you deal with this? You're neutral. Cool. I'm letting go. Then maybe I'm tossing a little food on the ground or delivering a little food. This is also a big piece of... Developing communication systems that are meaningful, release as reward is a concept that it probably doesn't get a lot of airtime. Maybe it's a thing that trainers pay attention to, but not so much dog people. No offense, dog people. I am you, by the way. Don't know if you knew that, but really, truly. So release as reward really means considering the the timing of how you how you end your interaction is usually everything. Okay, example. Let's say I go to hold on to a dog's collar and I'm rubbing them down and they're like defensively trying to bite me 15,000 times. Mm-mm, cute chihuahua mix, maybe. I don't know. And I kind of am like, I don't really think you're going to bite me and I'm not trying to trigger you, but here we are. This is, this is awkward. It's like stay on the board and ride that wave. So what I'm actively looking to do is to see if I can help that dog get over that fever pitch moment and recover. And sometimes it gets ugly. 
Is it the intention for it to get ugly? No. Sometimes it means, whoa, okay, maybe I need to go slower. Maybe I need to like feed and touch the collar and let go and feed and touch the collar and let go and then see if I can hold it for a couple seconds and let go. Good. You can always gradually build tolerance to the amount of time. But here's what I'm also going to tell you. All right, guys, when your dog is challenged by a situation and they've had any amount of time or rehearsal of aggression to resolve their conflict, which means they reach for defensive behavior to get the thing to stop happening. Anyone? Anyone? I mean, anyone with a snarky dog that didn't like their paws wiped off and now you like do it anyway or you don't do it or you avoid doing it and you're like, I'm sorry, groomer. Please deal with those mats in a month or two. What's going on there is the emotional state that the dog is also conditioning and backchaining during these situations and how you end the situation is often the overarching theme to the dog. I'm going to try to reframe that for you. How you leave the bar can either be neutral or it could ruin the night. (laughs) How your dog leaves or how you allow your dog to leave a situation, you either help them negotiate through a weird moment and order them an Uber and pop them in a car, or the bouncer may drag them out of the bar and pop them in an Uber or something, right? The tricky thing about dogs and people in general and anything that thinks is emotions generally reign supreme. They are the said, remembered thing That is the fabric of what is getting conditioned. So let me break this down. Dogs that struggle with vet visits, they usually, they either always struggle or they didn't struggle till they struggled. And then once they struggled, they're on the struggle bus. Now, why is that? It's a little thing we like to call sensitization and back chaining. Okay. Sensitization. Let's just talk about this. Let's demystify this dog word. Nerdy, 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 nerdy term. Sensitization means it takes less to get a bigger reaction. Back chaining means your dog is chaining together events and they are predictors for things. So for some dogs, peanut butter jar being open can be a predictor that they should go run in the crate because the Kong's going to show up there. For some dogs, if peanut butter has been like associated with something that the dog doesn't enjoy, not every dog, but some dogs will get really sensitive about this stuff. Oh, you're cracking open the jar of peanut butter. That means you're going to attempt to like give me a nail trim. That means I'm hiding under the coffee table. That's an example of back chaining. Or I see you reaching for the bottle of Alicetic ear cleaner. And I know that that means you're about to clean my ears and I'm just going to like creep over here and avoid you. That is your dog suggesting how they'd like that to go down. And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes what happens with visits to other professionals, or let's just say, let's reframe this too. Your dog is free ranging surprise, you didn't know your dog was highly territorial. Surprise, the dog walker comes into the house, your dog's growling and lunging and they can't get the the dog leashed and out of the house and the dog's controlling space. And then you're like, well, maybe it was just that it was like a new walker. Let's try this again. You do nothing to change the setup and the dog behaves the exact same way, even with like a known person. Or let's say it's like, I don't think my dog likes likes men. So let's let's see if we get a different kind of walker in there. If the dog behaves the same way, spoiler alert, they're claiming space and they're highly territorial and defensive. And you need to do something to rein that in and control the space 
So someone's not in a position where they don't have leverage or the upper hand to guide the movement. That's why a crate is a great idea. But more about that later. More about that on another episode. Okay. So both, all of those things are examples of predictive behavior. Like there are things that happen in the environment that predict the outcome and the dog's like, I'm going to remember that. Right. And it could also be things like I chased a um, cat under a car on this block (laughs) a month ago and I have not forgotten it and I will never forget it. And I'm always looking for this cat that actually probably doesn't even exist and hasn't been there for a month and a half. Okay. That makes sense, right? If you are looking for a food source and you go back to a place where you found a food source, I mean, that is inherently going to reinforce behavior. Whether, you know, for us in our modern culture, that's like going to a restaurant you like a lot, or whether that's like a dog that found a pizza crust a couple times on this corner and they keep looking there, right? So when we're getting back to how can you help a dog begin to be more tolerant of things that are potentially totally going to happen in predictable ways in real life, may happen on a day-to-day basis. What you're talking about really is keeping it super simple and starting with a very basic construct. Is your dog comfortable with you restraining them by holding onto their collar or harness or piece of equipment? Yes, no. And if you're like, yeah, I'm good. Cool. And if you're like, ooh, I don't know. How would I know that? Here's your litmus test. Hang on to the dog way longer than they're used to. A full minute, two minutes. That's your tell. Hold on to your dog's collar and walk them somewhere for 10, 20 steps. That's your tell. Okay. When you get into grooming with equipment, brushes, combs, tools of that nature, and you let's say you have a very sensitive dog that's already like, I hate that stuff and I'm avoiding you and this is the worst. You don't have to start with a grooming tool to like help your dog get this. You can start with something as simple as like a pen. They're on a leash, foot's on the leash so they can't really go anywhere. Rub, 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 rub. Go away. Good. Food. Touch, 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 touch. Good. Good. Then maybe get your brush, turn it around or your comb. So there's nothing actually combing through the hair. It's just like a butter knife touching them. Rub it, rub it, rub it. Good. Release feed. You can name that something if you want. Sometimes there is a big benefit to naming what you're doing so that your, your dog is like, you're giving them information while you go. There are trainers that really do a lot, quite a bit of husbandry work with exotic animals that find that to be a pretty successful strategy, which I've definitely seen work. So yeah, food for thought. You don't need to start with the tools they might already be avoidant of. You might just need to like start with something that's representative of touching their body. A lot of times with leashes, the leash will just be tagging the body. If I have a really sensitive dog, I'm like, if I tag you with this and touch you with it, what do you do? And if the dog's like, I'm neutral, you're touching me with the leash. I'm like, okay, cool. And if this has happened, the dog's like, okay, you're starting from a different spot. You are not desensitized, or let's say you are vigilant and perhaps looking, you're defensive. So I don't want to activate that a lot. So I'll probably back off of that and and start to get in a different way, which might just be honestly play interspersed with some touch. Now that my friends is a strategy that I like love. What can I do that you love? It's like the old scratch my back. You scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. What do you love? What's going to give you your dopamine hit and have you feeling good? Beautiful. Now, what weird thing can I sandwich in here before we go back to doing that? So if I have a dog that's super defensive, but they love to tug, maybe, or let's say they love to fetch, we're fetching, we're fetching, we're fetching, they drop the ball, we take a little break, then I'm like, touch, 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 move with me for a few, good, ball. 
I love to do like, boop, get in a couple reps, go back to fun. Boop, 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 fun, right? That's how you're naturally building small moments, which are impactful and, and, and long, like bigger picture things. If your dog is struggling with something specifically, I don't know what's a common one. Like I need to tell off your, it's wet outside. I need to tell you off. <laughs> then I would say, feel free to reach for the towel as potentially part of the deal. So right, you're playing and then you towel, 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 towel and go back to playing. I might even, if the dog is like, oh, it's the towel, I'm trying to get out of here. I'd have the dog leashed. So if they try to move away, I'd be like, they might move to the end of the leash to avoid and then be like, oh, I can't go anywhere. And then I wait for their body to just get neutral. And then maybe I release them to go fetch. So I said this earlier, it's like how you release the dog. It's either like if you jump off of the bucking Bronco, that might be an okay strategy for you, but you still might break some ribs. Kind of saying, here's what I'm trying to say, guys. When it gets turbulent, you're the one, you're the pilot. So you can be like, hi, folks, we're uh, about to experience some turbulence. If uh, you could return to your seats and put on your seatbelts, that would be great. We should be through this in just a few minutes. Thanks. So you can either prepare your captive audience for what is coming and what they're about to experience, or you could give them no information, or you could reassure them. Or let's say the turbulence is over and you're like, well, folks, we're about 20 minutes from landing in Grand Rapids. Thank you so much. I know that was a bit of a bumpy ride, but things are smooth sailing from here on out. Yeah. How you are talking, behaving, trying to ground your dog when they are having a moment is also kind of everything. We often are like, ah, we like want to bail on the interaction because we're like, am I hurting you? Is this like what, what's happening here? If a dog is squeamish about something, it usually means that they're mentally uncomfortable. It rarely means they're physically uncomfortable. So let's help them to get more mentally comfortable. You know what I'm saying? A dog that's resilient is mentally comfortable. And I'm not, I don't ask a dog to hand it over all the time because like sometimes they're really so like valid in what they're protesting. And more of the time, if I can help the dog get over the precipice of the weirdness and relax, and then we're done with our session, I'm good. If I naturally take the pressure off of the animal in the situation where they were restricted and uncertain, and then I reassure them a lot on the other side of that, and they look quite neutral and somewhat less tense, that is the win for me, right? I'm not about like, you know, sometimes like, look, and when you're doing procedures or like nail trims or whatever, sometimes you are just trying to get it done quickly, What I've always encouraged people to do is on the other side of something pretty invasive, like a nail trim, if they're doing that at home, to just like massage the dog for several minutes and help them relax and then release them to go muck about and do their thing. But if your dog is trying to escape like they're shot out of a cannon, that's like not how I would like it to end. Back to that old idea of back chaining, it's like I'm going to build anticipation to just run out of there, which I don't really want to do. And look, like in a high pressure situation, it always feels better when the pressured part is over and done with, right? And it's like it's like a sweaty palm moment. It will pass, but sometimes we don't know that there's anything good on the other side of the squeamish moment. That is usually where people get stuck. They're like, I did not know that I could help the dog. Like I could help the bucking bronco not buck, or I could help the dog work through it. And sometimes it's just Yeah, totally. I think that's actually a big piece of it is like people just don't know. They don't know that there's anything good on the other side of it. And like what what feels okay to them is to just bail in the moment. And like that's often why dogs will sensitize with defensive behavior at a vet 
because a lot of times, like it's just, you know, that situation is not set up to allow the time for the dog to like experience relative relaxation. And sometimes no amount of visits or no amount of treats or no amount of whatever is going to um, override the dog's conditioned emotional response, right? Some dogs that have big, high defensive responses are going to benefit from medication in combination with this type of work to help them ease into those types of moments, right? And some dogs will never like need that. Every dog's different. But in terms of future-proofing your dog's ability to handle weird, because weird is going to happen. Weird's going to happen. Weird's going to happen with collar touches. Weird's going to happen if you're off leash and you ask your dog to stop and you need to leash them up. Weird's going to happen when you're picking a tick off of them. Weird's going to happen when you're brushing burrs out off of their body. Weird's going to happen when you're getting a thorn out of their paw. Weird's going to happen if you want a nail trim. Weird's going to happen if you want to scrape or clean teeth. Weird's going to happen maybe when you have burrs in like the most ridiculous place, like inside of the ears. Weird is going to happen. Weird's going to happen if your dog experiences a bee sting. Weird's going to happen if you want to change equipment or put equipment on or, you know what I mean? We're just going with the game plan of desensitizing and building towards neutrality and beginning to be a quick study of your dog's body language and understanding what neutrality looks like. Neutrality looks like not a lot of tension and generally like resting, standing, not like, can I avoid? Not like, can I can I push forward and move away or can I back up? Just like, all right, return to myself. There's nowhere for me to go here. I feel like I'll take a deeper dive on on nail trims and and restraint tolerance because it can be it can be tricky. Maybe I'll get a lot of this in video format because it, it's one thing I think to talk about it, which is helpful for some of you. But I'm sure visually for some of you, they might be like, please show me what you're talking about in your robot voice, please show me how to restrain my dog and increase tolerance. (laughs) Okay. I will robot. I think that's all I got guys. So grooming behaviors, prepping for grooming behaviors, the big, like the big nugget here is you can do the things, but I want you to lean into the uncomfortable moments where the dog may be underprepared. That's sort of the big nugget, not good, bad, right or wrong. Not positive or negative. Not like, oh, I tried all this and it didn't work. It's like most of the time where you guys get stuck, if you have an issue, is your release of pressure education is non-existent and you don't understand how to play around with that part of the communication system and you don't know how to use it to your advantage and you don't know how to kind of soften the dog up. And those are all like soft and hard skills that can be taught. So that's the good news. You don't have to be like some dog whisperer to be like, now I can do it. You just need to understand that there's a whole other system at play that far exceeds and lives beyond like whether or not they'll eat a hot dog while you're doing something weird or, you know, insert whatever treat you want to feed them. Food can be so amazing in like getting grooming and handling rolling. But if you've ever had the shared experience of the dog being like too stressed to consume, it can also feel like a tight pair of pants that you want to donate. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, I used to love these pants, but they don't really fit anymore. It's like that was a cool strategy. And for some dogs, it works forever. And for others, it's just like not always going to work or it's going to have a limit to how it can be effective. That's why we like to have a very deep toolbox over over here. Guys, thanks for listening wherever you are. If you're enjoying what we're yakking about on the Life Well Live with Dogs podcast, please throw us a rating. This has been Lee Sigrid. Guys, truly thank you for joining joining, joining me for me to yada, yada, yada about the, the dogs and all the dog things and all the things that live inside my brain. So 
thank you so much for being here and have an amazing day or night or evening or morning, wherever you are. And, uh, yeah, feel free to, um, to shoot us a message too, to hello at OP Barks, Opportunity Barks Behavior and Training is our training business. If you have any suggested topics you want us to deep dive on, we'd be happy to do that. And if you have a question you would like us to answer in a Q&A format on a podcast, I would love to, I would be, I would be your guest to do that. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Love y'all. Bye.